So what we've found is, we actually recently asked this to our kids. We've asked, like, hey, what was your favorite gift you got last year? And they, do, they don't remember the gifts they got, but what they remember is the experiences that we've had. They remember vacations and trips, and even if it's something as small as going to a, a Ball State football game together or, you know, a sporting event or to the Civic for a show, they remember those, but they can't recall a gift that they got. Like the and, and memories, right? You you have memories of, of those things. Those memories over time, all they do is they increase and they get better and better as time goes. Where the stuff, you just you you, you don't remember it. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Jeff Hughes, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome. Just so glad you could uh, join us here today. We are kicking off a brand new series today called Hometown, and we'll get into that a little bit more about what that means. And uh, we're just uh, delighted to have you as we move into the Thanksgiving holiday and the Christmas season. It is just an awesome, awesome time to be in church. And so welcome, and we're very glad that you're here. We're going to be looking at a few scriptures here this morning, but our key text is going to come from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And so on your Bible or your mobile device or whatever you'll be reading the scriptures on this morning, go ahead and make your way there. And let me just make some uh, introductory thoughts uh, as we get there and just say this. Um, I want to warn you, um, this message may get up on our toes just a little bit. I was actually tempted to get on the Union Chapel Facebook this week and say, if you have a pair of steel toe shoes or boots, you should wear them uh, because this may get up on our, our toes just a bit, especially as we move into uh, the holiday season. Uh, but I believe you can handle it. I know 1130, you're a tough group. If you can handle it, say I can handle it. All right, all right, all right. I like it. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19 together. If you don't have a Bible, these words will be on the screen for us as well. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You can close your Bible, but stay standing. What we hope to do over the next several weeks is to remind you and remind ourselves that this world is not our home, that this world is not our home. So what I want you to do, I want you to touch two or three people on the shoulder and say, this is not my home, and then grab a seat. As I travel through my life, it's amazing all of the wrong kind of stuff that just ends up accumulating, right? Maybe you can relate to this. I don't know about you, but how about accumulated hurts? We accumulate hurts or accumulated junk, just stuff. Or how about seeds of discontentment that end up springing up and growing into all sorts of problems in our life that are there and we don't know where they came from and we can trace them back and go, oh, I see where that came from. Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about letting go of some of the things that hold us back and hold us down. 
We're going to talk about things that, that weight us, just that heavy weight on our shoulders so that we can really live the life that God wants us to live, a life that will honor him. Next week, we're going to talk about letting go of distractions, and then we'll follow that up with letting go of bitterness, and then letting go of control. And, you know, I look at some of you, I know some of you, and you've got the spiritual gift of control freak, right? So that's going to be an exciting week for you. You may want to stay home on that one. No, I see some nudging, some smiling. Not a good time, sir, to nudge your wife right there in that point in the message. But what I want to do today is I want to help us let go of some of these things in our life that weight us down, that hold us down. And I've got a key point for you if you're taking notes, and it's this. It's better for us to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. You hear that and you go, yeah, yeah, I get that. But how and what does that look like? Hear that again. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. The problem is all the way back to the very beginning of of time, the beginning of culture, we, we see that God is creating Adam and he says, uh, it's good, but Adam was alone. And so God creates a helpmate, a woman to be by his side so they can serve together. And they're both naked and God says, be fruitful and multiply. And everything is just great. They're just in this garden. What could be better than that? And then God says, just, just one thing. You can't eat from this one tree. There's this tree. You can't eat from that one. And so the snake, the serpent comes up and I'm from the South, I'm from Texas. And so I absolutely hate snakes because any snake will kill you from Texas. Rattler, copperhead, they're, they're gonna get you. And so I hate snakes, but so I can relate to this. This serpent comes up and, and he says to them, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? And, and it's this idea that all the way back to the very beginning of creation, we fight this same lie that we wrestle with today. And it's this, it's that what I don't have is what I really need to be happy. We can have all these blessings. We can have all of these accomplishments, all of these things, all of this stuff. But we have this lie inside of us that there's something just beyond our reach that if we only had that, if we only had that thing, if we only had that stuff, that that is what we really need. All the blessings God has given us are wonderful, but we feel like we're missing something. And I think that that is true all the way back from the very beginning of Adam and Eve. It's this lie that, what I don't have is what I really need. A lot of us have seasons and moments in our lives and we can think that there's something else out there that we need, that, that more is always better. More is always better. If, if, if $1 is good, then $2 is better. If one car is good, then, then two cars is, is better. If one vacation is good, then two vacations is even better. And I learned the beginning of this lesson when I was 12 years old at a New Year's Eve party with my parents growing up in Texas. I know, it was a wild party. I was 12, we're at this party, there were adults. And so pretty much what happened was I was off in a game room next to all the people who were really at the party. But I felt like I was at the party. There was a pinball machine that didn't take any quarters so I could just play pinball. And there was this, this jukebox that had all this golden music. It was just phenomenal. And my parents, what they would do, maybe you can relate to this, to entertain me and my friend who were there, they would just open the door and just throw some food in and shut the door every now and then. Have you been there? Yeah, yeah, you've been there. And so I, I discovered that night that there were these barbecue sandwiches that were just amazing. And they paired really, really well 
with a big red carbonated soda. Anybody ever had one of these? It's like the big red gum, only it's the soda and it is pure sugar and carbonation and it is nasty. It is just strong, big red soda. And so I realized that if one barbecue sandwich and big red carbonated soda was good, then two would be even better. And if two was good and better, then three would just be, well, you see where this is going. And about three o'clock in the morning while sleeping in my bed at our home around the corner, I violently woke up as my body violently rejected the barbecue sandwiches and the big red carbonated soda that I have enjoyed earlier in that evening. And this passage became oh so clear, not in that moment, but later. And it's this, Ecclesiastes 4, 6, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. That's Ecclesiastes 4, 6. I've got a confession for you here this morning. One of my favorite bands is U2. Anybody else out there? You just love Bono, you love the Edge. It's just a great sound, right? I love U2. And in 1987, they had their, their second number one hit, which you probably wouldn't recognize it as their number one hit, but if I said the name, you would go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's heard the song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For? Yeah, still haven't found. Yeah, you don't. You can go there real easy. Come on. The band should have played that today, but I don't know. We, we just didn't. But let me have you listen to some of the words of the chorus from I Still Haven't Found what I'm looking for. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled the city walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Can you get there? Can you grab a hold of that? Lead guitarist, The Eds, yes, that's his real name in case you're not sure. He called it a gospel song. And well, I don't know, I do know this. It describes so much of what our culture seems to be resonating with. We chase so many things, don't we? We climb mountains, we seek after all of these things in our life, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Can I throw out, if that's you, that perhaps you haven't found what you're looking for because you've been searching for something and not a someone? Because there is a void in every single life. It is a place that was created for God to reside in our lives in our physical beings, a spiritual residing of God himself. And when we try to fill this compartment with anything else, it will not satisfy, it will not last. And so we go through life chasing and scaling and looking and seeking after things that will fill this void when searching for something through the accumulation of things will always leave us empty. Everything around us really shouts that we are a culture of more, doesn't it? I did a little research on this and a typical supermarket in 1976 had around 9,000 items in it. Today, that same just small supermarket, 30,000 items today. We're not even talking about the humongous box stores that have everything. We're just talking about a supermarket. Why? Because we have an almost obsessive belief that more is better. More stuff, more things, more options. Solomon, the richest man in the world at the time, he thought this too. 
And he spent such, so much of his life striving after the accumulation of things and wealth. And still, it left him empty and feeling this discontentment that we read in Ecclesiastes 4.6 about one handful with tranquility or two with anxiety and worry and depression and fear and all of those things that we so often see prevalent in our society. In other words, it's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does Why? Because your life is too valuable, your calling is too great, and your God is too good to live a life that falls short of what he described and wants for us. Jesus warns us about this. In fact, there's a powerful story about two sons who were really excited about their inheritance that was coming their way. And Jesus warns them in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and he says this, and it starts off and it says, watch out. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone said to me, say I'm walking through a store parking lot or walking out to my car here today, and someone said, watch out, my ears are going to perk up. I'm going to be alert. My eyes are going to be scanning around to see what's going on. I know that I have taken my daughter who's two to the park before and kind of walked along and I can picture, you know, sitting there on the swings, you're just kind of being aware of what's going on. But if I heard, watch out, and then I heard, be on your guard. I would be alert and and aware, but I would probably think that something physical would be lurking around the corner. Maybe there's a wild dog, or maybe there's someone who is lurking to do harm in that parking lot. But what we see here, even though watch out, be on your guard, kind of lends to a physical threat is something different. You see, it continues with watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And it continues and says this, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And even though everything in culture tells you the exact opposite, gather, gather, accumulate more, more, more. I hope you'll understand that you are not what you have. You are not your stuff. You're not what you drive. You're not what you do. You're not what you wear. You're not the possessions in your home. And remember the lie this great, great life from the beginning of time, that it's what you don't have that you really need to be fulfilled. And friends, so many times what we do is we chase after that. We chase after that thing that's just right out beyond our our grasp. And we're looking for that thing because we believe that's what will make it. What if the stuff that you actually have is robbing you from the life that you really want? Or what about this? What if the possessions that you own actually own you instead of you owning them? Better is one handful with tranquility than two with all of these other symptoms and things that we see so prevalent in our society. So what I want to do here today, and it's kind of this perfect time of a year just to, just to talk about this leading into Thanksgiving and Black Friday and giving and Christmas and all of that season, is I want to just get up on our toes a little bit, just to think about this, just to consider four thoughts about how to have a one handful of life so you can have that second handful for blessing and generosity. The first thing that I want to encourage you to do, because better is one handful, is to throw out, throw out. When you're looking at the junk that most of us have, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's crazy. Throw out as if your life depends on it because it very well may actually depend on it. Our lives do not consist in the abundance of possessions, the junk that just piles up in our lives. I mean, in the junk drawer or 
all of the junk drawers or the junk closet or the junk room or the storage shed that we now rent and pay out every month because there is more what? More junk that we have to hold onto. It's not our life. That's not our life. Is it wrong to have possessions? No, not at all. But when we have over and over and over and more and more, it becomes a weight that weighs us down. And so I'm encouraging us to throw out, to find those things and just to get rid of them, not just declutter, de-own. Bless somebody with those things. If it's a nonprofit who can use them, phenomenal. Get rid of stuff. Our life does not consist in stuff. There's a guy in the New Testament who you may be able to relate to. He is a rich young ruler. He's referred to as that in many ways. And he's a rich man. He's a handsome young man with a position of power and status. And this guy comes to Jesus. And he did so because Jesus actually represented something in this young man's life that he did not have. And the things that this man did not have were were very few. In fact, when he found something that he did not have, he got it. He wrote a check for it, or he rubbed shoulders and rubbed elbows with somebody in order to gain that power or prestige or authority. And we see this relationship with the young man, and he's confident that he can get what he wants from Jesus. So he sees Jesus roaming around with these disciples, doing miracles and doing things. And after all, this young man thinks, who wouldn't want a nice-looking, young, rich guy to be on board with their team, with their mission, supporting their cause? Who wouldn't want someone with authority and power on their team? And the rich young ruler was confident that no matter what Jesus was peddling, that he could write a check and pay for it. He could attain whatever it was. Here's the catch. Jesus would gain nothing from this man's presence. But that young man, even though he didn't realize it, he desperately needed and desired and even wanted everything that Jesus had but he went about it in the wrong way. You see, when the rich young ruler asked Jesus about spiritual life and and entering the kingdom of heaven and knowing God and, and, and walking with this group of disciples and being in that group, on that team, if you will, Jesus looked him in the eyes and he said this, you need to sell all your stuff. You need to take the money. You need to give it to the poor. And then and only then will you inherit the kingdom of God. I believe that the jaw of the rich young ruler hit the floor. I think that he was expecting an answer that was anything except for that. I think he was expecting a a financial amount, something he had to do, but not his stuff. And so the Bible says that he went away sad, that he left the scene of Jesus distraught. I imagine that he tried to negotiate. All right, Jesus, how about this? How about I... Uh, liquidate one third of my assets and I'll give half of that to the poor and then I'll invest the other in the stock market. No. Jesus says all of it. And you know, today, as we sit here, that's what he wants from us too. He wants everything we have. Starts from our heart, works all the way out. And so maybe you're here today and you would say, I, I don't know about that. Well, we see it very clearly in the scriptures that it's what God desires, not just for the rich young ruler, but for all of us to abandon ourselves, to die to ourselves, to crucify ourselves with Christ. I no longer live, Christ lives in me. And so this young man leaves and Jesus gathers the disciples for what we call a teachable moment. 
So Jesus is talking with the disciples and he's pointing and he's saying, you see that guy? They knew him. They had seen him around town flaunting his wealth and things. And Jesus said to them, that man didn't have his stuff. His stuff had him. Don't be like that. And so straight from the scriptures, we, we see this account of, of, of what's happening. And I want to just land on this story and talk about it because it's not wrong for us to have stuff. It's not even wrong for us to have nice stuff. We serve a generous God who blesses us. But listen, friends, it's wrong when our stuff owns us, when we're so tight-fisted to this stuff that we can't open our hands and we can't even simplify or let things go. It's wrong when you believe that more and more and more and more stuff or possessions or things is actually the answer to that emptiness and that void in our life, that pursuing a bunch of junk will fulfill the emptiness that is in our lives. Because it's a spiritual void that can only be filled by the goodness and the grace of God. And friends, when you have that, you know it. When you have the goodness and grace of God filling that void in your life, you know it. Because though you buy things, you don't buy things to fill an emptiness that's inside you. And in fact, many folks who have that, that joyous spirit of having Jesus uh, filling that spiritual void in their life, when they buy things, they're buying it to give it away. They're buying it to be a blessing. But what we need to do, we need to throw out. Some of you may know that the most toured home in America is the White House. People take all kinds of trips. There are, are elementary kids who take trips on buses there. There are families who take trips there. And so uh, it's to no surprise that the White House is the most toured home in America. But the second most toured home in America is the 23-room home of the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's in Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee. It has hundreds of visitors every single day. And over $15 million is actually uh, spent there in a year by people who go to look at Elvis's stuff, cars and records and memorabilia and clothes and airplanes and all kinds of stuff. No doubt few people in, in his time made as much money as quickly as he did. And certainly no one else had as much fame and popularity. Elvis seemed to have it all if you think back and study and look at him. But friends, it was just stuff. It was just stuff. You may be tempted to resist this in your heart or maybe even out loud after the service, but if you open that door at uh, Graceland and you walk 50 yards back, you're going to see something. You know what it is? It's a tombstone. It's going to say August 16th, 1977, at 42 years old, an overdose of pills battling depression. You see, things didn't do it for Elvis either. They won't do it for you. And he had as much as anybody else. In fact, I found this quote that I wanted to share with you this morning uh, from Elvis. He said, I would give a million dollars, a million dollars for one day of peace. Isn't that phenomenal? You can have all that stuff and you can miss it. You can have all that fame, all that fortune. You can have places where people will visit and spend money just to look at your, your pants $15 million, you are not your stuff and it will not bring you peace. We can illustrate that from his life and we can illustrate it from countless others. Here's the second thing we're gonna do is we're gonna buy less. All right, so we've got throw out, we got buy less. Merry Christmas, right? Pastor Jeff the Grinch, okay? Some of you are gonna say it's too late. 
The Black Friday ads have come early. Amazon did a, did a deal. I've already spent, spent, spent. But it's not too late because we can evaluate where we are and we can decide to make a change. We can decide we're going to buy less. You may not know this, but 62% of people actually spend and buy stuff because it makes them feel better. It cheers them up. It lifts them out of this funk of their life uh, by spending money. And so if you're in that percentage, one, you're not alone. Two, there's a better way. They feel down, they feel depressed. So guess what? I'm gonna go shopping so I can get in even more financial struggles because that's gonna make me feel better, right? For a minute, right? It's a form of entertainment. I want something new. I want something clean. I want something fresh, gives us a sense of momentary significance to buy things we don't need with, with credit and money we don't have to impress people who we don't even like. <laughs> don't laugh, we do it. There's something about it that researchers say it actually releases this chemical dopamine in our brains and in our bodies and it is a release that is a active, like that was fun, that was exciting until the credit card bill comes. And then it's the total opposite. But what happens is it's this high, low, high, low experience that we deal with. And the great challenge is that so many people are going through life, not just buying stuff, but buying stuff on credit with money that they don't have. Right here in this room, this Wednesday night, this last week, we had over 300 people who were a part of the Dave Ramsey live stream free simulcast where Dave Ramsey and his team walked through the seven baby steps of building financial wealth so we can live and give like no one else. And it was phenomenal. You don't have to be around Union Chapel too long to know that our staff are big, big fans of Dave Ramsey. It's not uncommon for us to be talking with each other and say, hey, what baby step are you on? If you don't know what the baby steps are, you need to learn these seven baby steps because it's so simple, but yet it is biblical truth of how to manage our financial house. And so if you are a person who I'm describing here and, and you know, that's okay because studies show that 62% of us are. And so uh, 62% of this room is who I'm talking to right now. It, it's, it's okay, but don't live that way. Don't stay in that dysfunction of being unhappy and feeling lonely or depressed or sad or anxious. And so you go spend and it's this cycle, but I would encourage you to get out of that. You may not know this, but the average American has four credit cards. And on those four credit cards, they hold over $9,000 of debt. Over $9,000 of debt. The average interest rate we'll say is 18%. We've got bankers in the room who could do better than that, but let's do the math. The average American pays the minimum monthly payment uh, on this $9,000 credit card debt. It would take them 30 years and they'd pay over $29,000 in interest. That's crazy. That is crazy. Can... Can we just like step back and say, we're drowning. We can't live and give the way God wants us to because we're up to our eyeballs in, in debt and in purchasing. We've got to make a change. And I believe that that change is, is spiritual. I believe that it comes from the root of our hearts. And I love the passion translation of the Bible. And if you've never read out of that, you might search for the passion translation and just read some of those words because they just so vividly illustrate what the scriptures teach us. And so I wanna look at something from Psalm 119, verse 36 and 37 from the passion translation. And friends, this is a prayer and it's a prayer that resonates with me because I don't have this all together. God, cause my heart to bow before your words of wisdom. You could stop right there, man. That's like a daily, every single day prayer for us to pray. 
but it continues, and not to the wealth of this world. Help me turn my eyes away from illusions so that I may pursue only that which is true. Other translations say this, uh, away from meaningless things. Oh God, can we move away from meaningless things? How often in our lives do we fill up our space and time with things that really just don't matter? They don't matter. So what I wanna do, I wanna get to this place and I'm not there now, I'm on this journey and I think you're on this journey or wanna be there too where our life is, is so full of the goodness of God that we don't need anything to make us happy or fulfilled or satisfied. We don't need anything else to feel better about ourselves because that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and having him at the center point of who we are as people. There's nothing you can buy. It's a person that you need to know. Throw out the stuff and don't be weighed down by those things that you don't need. What I do know is on the other side of that stuff, there's freedom, there's joy and generosity and being a blessing. And there's also time for relationships. We need to buy less. Here's the third way that we can have a life that, that really matters and live this one handful of life. It's to give more, to give more. Let me talk about this for a moment. We read this earlier, but I love what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17. So I wanna look at it in a little bit uh, deeper meaning. So it starts off and Paul says to Timothy this, he says, command those who are rich in this present world. And it continues, but let me just take that section right there. Because if you're like me, and chances are you, you are, you hear this and it starts and says, command those who are rich in this present world. And you go, eh, not me, I'm out. And we even have a temptation to say, I know some rich people. I work with a rich person. I, if you're a college student, maybe you would say, I, um, I know a girl, I have a class with her. She's rich, but I'm not rich. But let me just put this in global perspective for us all here this morning, Union Chapel. Hear this, this is important. If you drove somewhere today, this morning, if you drove here to church, you are rich. In fact, you're somewhere between the top five and 7% of the richest people on planet earth. Congratulations, you drove to church. If you have or have the option to have three meals a day, then you're a rich person. In fact, you're in 40% richest people alive today. You're in the top 40%. If you're able to order a pizza on your phone and have it to your house before you get home, you're crazy rich, crazy rich. When we look at the totality of the population around us, we are rich people. And so here's the thing. We can't dismiss this verse. We can't say that's not me because this is us. We are rich, every single one of us. So this verse is to us. We should hear it. Not only that, we should feel it. Go deeper, we should internalize it. We should let it read us. We should let it become us because we should become it. So let's move into it. First Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich, us, in this present world, not to be arrogant, but to put our hope in what? To put our hope, not in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put it in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Friends, I want you to get something this morning. And here it is. We shouldn't feel guilty about our blessings. We shouldn't feel guilty about the possessions that we own, but we should manage them in a way where we have margin to be a blessing to other people, right? 
if one hand is full and the other hand is full and then the storage room is full and this is full and this is full, we have no room for margin to say, okay, God, I wanna, I wanna live and give in this way. We shouldn't feel guilty if we have nice stuff. We just don't wanna let the stuff have us. We don't wanna get to a point where we're closed fisted in our lives. We wanna live generous, blessing lives. What this verse doesn't say is he doesn't command the rich to buy more. He doesn't command them to hoard it all until they have no room for anything else. No, he doesn't say go on Amazon and click uh, add to cart and fill it really full and then buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. No, we have been marketed to, but he says, command them to do good. Command them to do good. Command them to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share, to share experiences, to share things, I believe. In this way, we'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation so they may take hold of life that is truly life. When you are a blessing, when you choose to give, when the overflow of the goodness of God goes through your life and into the lives of others, that's called being a spiritual blessing to someone. And I believe God has called us to do that. And we are doing that. In fact, many, many, many across this room, across this church all weekend that have been here have heard this message and you are givers. You're very generous givers. And that's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. I'm so excited about what God is doing through Faith Promise right now. Just wanna take a minute just to share about that. Um, the last two weeks, we've been talking about the 2020 Faith Promise goal. It's a card, it's out there at the Welcome Center. If you'd like to check one out, maybe you missed it. And Faith Promise is not, it's not faith to get it's not faith to receive. God, I'm believing for this thing because then I can do this and it's something for us. It's faith that as we receive that we can be a blessing to other people, that we can be generous givers in a way that was unexpected. And so I, I love the, the messages that Pastor Greg's given on that. And I love the idea of that. And even greater than that, I love your generosity and your faithfulness because hear this, the story that God is writing through Union Chapel is pretty cool. It's pretty neat. I got to spend some time with our friends, the Pardos from Ecuador who were here two or three weeks ago and they were here at church. Maybe you were here that weekend. I think it was two or three weeks ago. And they're planting more and more churches all over Ecuador all the time. So people will know Jesus. People in areas where the gospel's not being preached, they're gathering them, they're starting house churches. They're taking Bibles that we're sending over and they're blessing people with those. They're starting a new house church in January. They'll start another one when our, our team visits. We're taking a mission trip to Ecuador this summer. If you want info on that, just dive in. It's not too late. And, and God is using our church in Ecuador. But let's just back that up because our good friend Paul Erminger is down in Gulfside in Florida and God is using him right now with a couple hundred people where he gets to preach the gospel every single weekend. And Paul was on our team. And let me just say that what God has done in our past it, it pales in comparison to what we believe that God has ahead of us. In fact, we believe that 2020 and faith promise and what God is gonna do in this next year is going to exceed and be an amazing opportunity for us to bless people like never before. We're very, very excited about that. And so um, I'm just so thankful for what God is doing and to be able to be a part of this. We've been a part, our family with the faith promise and what's been really neat is just how God provides uh, for us and for others in our church who participate in this. God is at work. Don't miss it. But listen, when we live a one-handed life, a one handful life, 
we have an opportunity that when we hear a call to be a blessing, whether if it's from this stage or your small group or maybe a coworker, we can jump in and we can be the people of God. We can do what God wants us to do by being a blessing and giving more, by giving generously. And we believe the best days of ministry to our city and our world are ahead of us. But we've got to have a less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter perspective. And I believe that as we do that, that God is going to use us individually in places where you are a blessing. There were several of you who went to Blood and Fire last night and you were a part of the Thanksgiving feast there. Hundreds of people from our city gathered to receive a Thanksgiving meal and to share some joy and friendship and family with one another. And looking through the pictures between services from Bob Ball just a few moments ago, it's just, it's just such a, a God thing to see people around tables with their families smiling and having a joyous time, knowing that it's because our congregation baked pies and made turkey and went and served and decorated and on and on. There's just nothing like being a generous church and a generous um, place. And so may we continue to do that. May we continue to say less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. Well, let me conclude this message with the fourth point, which is to make the moments matter. Make the moments matter. Friends, we only get one chance to live this life, only one go around. And um, I don't know about you, but it's so significant and so important that we evaluate how we can make the moments of our life really, really matter. I turned 40 earlier this year, back in May, and I still feel 20 most days. Most days, except when I wake up and have to go to the chiropractor. But in that moment of being that milestone, I kind of said, okay, it's not a midlife crisis, but it's a 40-year-old a evaluation point. And I took some time and I just evaluated and said, God, what do you want to say to me right now? What do you want to say to me in this season of, of turning 40, though I still have many, many years ahead and I'm so super excited about that. Here's what God said, make the moments matter. Make the moments matter. Because it's not hard to see that our weeks end up turning to months just like that. And our months turn to years and we go, where did the time go? I mean, I see that in my kids and I see that in other conversations that I have with people. In fact, I was talking with someone just the other day and I, I said, how long ago was that? That was probably what, maybe four or five years ago? And they said, no, that was 13 years ago. I said, whoa, no way. And, and you've been in that conversation before. But how do we get there? We get there when we're just checking off days on a calendar. But instead, what God is calling us to do is to make the moments matter. You see, some of you tomorrow, you're going to be in a meeting somewhere with someone and you're going to have an opportunity to make a moment matter. You're going to have an opportunity to lean in to encourage someone. You're going to have an opportunity to speak up for Jesus. You have an opportunity to do the right thing. And I'm challenging you, church, to make the moments matter. Every single one of them because they slip by us so, so often and it's so easy to do. How quickly the weeks turn to months. We've got to live in a way that will be intentional. You see, friends, I believe that intentional living in a way that really matters will honor God and it will inspire people to wanna to follow him. I believe that raising our families in a way that honors God really does matter because these little ones that are growing up here in our church will want to follow Jesus and then they'll seek after him and they'll be the people who will carry this torch forward. 
They'll be the people down the road who will be sharing in their business place about Jesus and how we can live with biblical uh, principles to, to manage our lives. Friends, we live in a city that needs people who will be authentic followers of Jesus. And I believe I'm looking at faces right now all across this room of people who will carry that torch, who will say, I wanna make the moments matter in my workplace, in our city, in the school where I work, in the job that I have, in the ministry areas that I'm a part of here at Union Chapel, in my living, in my giving, I wanna make the moments matter. And when we do that, lives are changed. Lives are changed. And so don't miss that. So for those of you wondering why, why would I wanna do this? Let me go back to this statement that I made earlier in this message. Why should you do this? Because your life is too valuable. Your God is too great. And your calling is too good to live a life that is not what God designed for you. And God has called us to go through life living one-handed, living one-handed so we have the other hand free to bless other people, to lift somebody up when they're down, to jump in and to serve. Better is one handful with tranquility than two with toil and, and turmoil and anxiety and worry. Less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. God, give us that. Friends, this world is not our home. It's not. We're just passing through. We're just, we're just passing through this place. And so one of the things that God impressed upon my heart is to remember this. He says, Jeff, are you accumulating on earth what you cannot keep? Or are you investing in heaven what you cannot lose? And maybe that applies to you today. Maybe you're accumulating on earth what you cannot keep. And it's time to move into a season of investing in heaven that which you will not lose. Throw out, buy less, give more, and make the moments matter. Did you get it? Let's pray together. So Father, we ask today that by your power, by your grace, that you would just fall upon this room right now, that you would speak to us. Lord, I believe that through this message, you've been saying a variety of things all across the room to different people, to each and every one, every seat represented across this room. Say the one thing you need to say to them right now. Just impress upon their heart what you want them to get out of this talk here this morning. Help us to know that you love us, that you care for us, and that you are a generous God Lord, help the stuff in our life not to own us. Help it not to own us. And help us not to believe the lie that there's something out there that's just beyond what we have. And that's something that we need. And only if we had that, then we would be fulfilled. Then we would have what we need. Unless that one thing is you, Jesus. And so right now, for those across this room who say, you know what, this, this message grabbed me. I have an empty spot in my life that I've been trying to fill with stuff, with things, with possessions. And I'm realizing right now, through the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that that space in my life is a spiritual void that was created for you, God. It was created for a relationship with Jesus. And so if that's you right now, I just encourage you to jump in on this prayer right now and just say, God, that's me. That is me. Just whisper it to him right there. He hears your heart. He knows you. He's listening right now. And I invite you just to pray with me. Just say, Jesus, help me not to be defined by the things of this world. I invite you into my life right now. God, give me a sense of gratitude. Come into my life. Speak to me, Lord. Fill my life. God, I pray that you would give us a sense of stewardship and ownership.
to the things of God and the calling of God, the call of God that you've placed upon our city, our world, this church. Lord, I pray this simple prayer that you would use us. I pray you would use us. Lord, use me. Use every person in this place. Use us, God. As you're praying right now, I believe that there are things that God has identified on your heart and you have the choice. The ball is in your court to say, yes, I will do that thing. I will do what's necessary. I will respond in the way that God is calling me to respond. So Jesus, help us to do that. Help us to respond to whatever you're saying. It's in your powerful name we pray, amen.